we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Today's episode is about how damaging it can be to focus on the competition, especially when there might not be any. Here's what's coming up. And I think that kind of stuff sent a huge message that um, to, to take the higher road always and to watch out for each other. And and we, we don't talk down about other shops. We don't we, we almost try to pretend other shops just kind of don't really exist. We, we don't like to gossip. We discourage any kind of, oh, did you hear what happened over at this guy's shop? In ours, we always try to take the high road. Um, we, we've got a, a mission, values, and culture statement we've been working on. And one of our big quotes, we have it up on the wall at our shop, is, is not arrogant, just better. Why would I want to do what someone else is doing that's not successful? If I want to be successful, I hang around with the successful people. I learn from the successful people and not from the people that are falling down. For a better business, a better life, and a better industry, the Institute's Leading Edge. All right. Uh, welcome to the Leading Edge. I believe we're on episode number 25, and our topic today is Shop Envy, uh, the grass is greener syndrome. Um, uh, today on the leading edge, we have uh, Rich DeFrancisco. Uh, Rich, your shop is in, ah, come on, Cecil, Tennessee somewhere. Um, where, where, where are you at? What's this, uh, Rich? Yes, I'm here. Where, where's your shop? Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. See, I told you it was in Tennessee somewhere. I was just there, and I couldn't think of Knoxville. Imagine that with my <laughs> wife here. Um, we have uh, Patrick McHugh, and Patrick's shop is uh, in uh, Virginia somewhere. Um, and we've had Patrick on before. He's a, a, an amazing uh, a guy really knocking it out of the park right now and a good friend of mine. And last but not least, uh, we have uh, Scott Caster from the Institute. Scott uh, works with some of our clients and our service advisor mastery program. So, uh, Shop Envy, um, what is door? What is uh, what is Shop Envy? Uh, what would you what would you classify as Shop Envy? Or maybe the uh, better question is, uh, should we? Be concerned with what the other shops on the block are doing. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Rich. Rich, what do you do? Um, do you do you look at what the other shops are doing? Do you do you look at their pricing? Do you try to be competitive with them? I don't. I don't. I don't try to be competitive with them. Um, I don't feel like we have any direct competition in the area, even though we do. Um, we don't tend to cater to the price shopper types. Um, we have a nicer facility, and if there's other nicer facilities in the area, I'm, I'm happy for them. Okay. Do you, do you think that um, puts you in a bad, in a bad place? Um, do you think that that uh, costs you customers? It, it can potentially cost customers. Um, the customers that it would cost us, in the, for the most part, um, if it costs us a customer who would be what we consider a good customer or a compliant customer or the kind of customer that we, we would want to have, um, then the problem would be with us and with our presentation, with us not presenting ourselves as that, uh, you know, we're, we're here to be, to, to be your friends and friends communicate with each other. And um, those customers, if we've lost them, it's because we haven't. It's our fault. It's not another shop's fault for taking them away. It's our fault for losing them or for not getting them in in the first place. Okay, uh, Patrick. What about you? Do you um, do you routinely or uh, or once a year, whatever? Do you look at the pricing of the other shops in the area? Do you, do you do you look at what they're doing or who they are? We're not hearing you, buddy. Still not hearing you. We were hearing you earlier. Sorry, bro. While you're fixing, there we go. There we go. All right. Now we're good. Um, I'm I'm not a price focused shop. Uh, we're a value based model, and and I don't do too much looking. I I try to be the shop that other shops are looking at. Um, we've established ourselves as kind of the gold standard in our town, and and I know for a fact that other shops are are trying to be like us, and I'm very proud of that. Um, I do look occasionally 
at what other shops are broadcasting, at what our competition is broadcasting to our clients, because they have the same databases that we do. They're sending them mailings, they're sending them uh, stuff. And I want to see what marketing is being sent to our clients so that I can make sure that I'm always better than that and that that I'm different. I don't want to be sending the same crap that my my competitor, and I always put that in quotations because I don't really believe I have many or any in this town, is sending. You know, it's funny. They say if you want to sell shoes, put your store in the middle of other shoe stores. And I always thought if I wanted to sell shoes, I'd go where people need shoes yes. um, and not near the other shoe stores. Um, I'm a guy that teaches not to do oil changes. And the main reason, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that, that I kind of teach that. Um, one is oil changes are not profitable. Uh, but I think the main reason is if I'm an oil change guy, uh, my customers are going to compare me with all the other oil change guys out there. And I don't really want to be compared. I'd rather do a minor service or vehicle service or something that is uh, kind of defined differently and spelled out differently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Scott, when you, when you had your shop, uh, uh, did you routinely price shop or look at the other guys in the area? <clears throat> you, you know, I, I didn't, um, but we would get those calls uh, from the other shops. We knew there were other shops, but I, I've got kind of uh, with Patrick on this is that we, I would, I would just like to know what my competitors are doing so that I was, you know, I was doing something different and uh, something better than them. But uh, I, I guess, you know, the envy uh, that I had was uh, when I belonged to the other uh, 20 groups. Um, that's, that's where I, I, I really uh, thought that I got a lot of my information and where I wanted to be like other shops was uh, when I was with my peers and, uh, you know, and all of our all our dirty stuffs up on the board up there, and we're looking at it, and we're going, man, I just wish I could. Well, I wish I could just be like that. And how how do you get there? And how are you getting there? And how are you staying there? Um, that that was kind of you know, if, if I ever had if I had envy of shops, that was that's where I I got it from was the twenty groups, the better of the group, the better of the shops. I think it, there's an interesting. Um story. I don't know that I want to t- t- tell it because it might be too long. Um, suffice it to say, a shop that I ran that was one of the top 10 shops in the United States for three years in a row, according to Motor Magazine and according to us for five years in a row, um, uh, closed, uh, you know, uh, 19 years later, 18 years later after I left. And I got kind of a, a little down on, uh, you know, I got a little depressed, uh, frankly, because, you know, we'd worked so hard uh, to build this beautiful shop and to really achieve things. And what I realized was the reason I was upset was not because the shop necessarily closed, but because I was trying to figure out why the shop was so good. And while I was there, was it me or was it something else? And it really was something else. It was the culture that was created in the shop. Everyone in the shop compared, compared themselves to the best and wanted to be the best. And we talked about that fairly regularly, as opposed to comparing ourselves to the guy down the street who maybe is not pricing himself right, who maybe is not doing things the way that they ought to be done, <clears throat> who may not understand his, um, you know, his his uh, his value proposition uh, and what's best with his shop. Uh, uh, Rich, do you think there's um, do you think there's a benefit? to looking at the other shop, uh, to checking on what they're doing or what they're pricing or, uh, uh, to, to talking to the guy down the street. There's definitely a benefit with, with keeping those relationships up, especially with the, um, some of the more reputable ones in the area. Um, this particular area, I know one of the things that we, we discuss a lot is that, you know, everybody says, well, Knoxville this, well, Dallas that, well, Miami this, and everybody thinks their area is different. But um, we're very segregated here according to, to districts. I draw a lot of customers from within a five-mile radius, obviously, but I also draw a lot of customers from 100 miles because we are a kind of a city in the middle of nowhere. Um, so even though there are customers in, in, a, in, a, in another good shop across town that, um, you know, they, they would be direct competition, um, I do – 
I definitely do 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 watch them, and I like to drive by and make sure that my place looks cleaner than their place, and you know, see if there's anything different there. If he's put a splash of paint on, you know, I've made sure to um, get myself in a place that if he's got any mailing lists on on them, so I get the mailers. Um, but I definitely don't dwell on it and and you know and look at what they're doing and try to try to one up them. We just try to be the, the the best and most honest. And like Patrick said, the value proposition. We we sell that. You know, we're going to take care of you no matter what, and that uh, you know a three thirty six warranty and that sort of thing is is going to be what gets you. And that we're going to shoot straight and our radio advertising and all that kind of stuff. We you know we advertise on our radio advertising why why we want to see you in person and not quote you on the phone. You know, we're trying to do education, consumer education to an extent. Obviously, you don't want to over-educate a consumer, but you also want to sh- let them know that, that you do care and that you are looking out for them. Patrick, do you think there's advantages to um, looking at the, what the other shop's doing and, and making those comparisons? Sure. So in our town, we've got a couple of European shops that are all very tight, and we talk with each other all the time, um, the owners and stuff. And um, a long time ago, one of them called me and said, "Hey, you're uh, one of your clients is trying to get is trying to price shop with me, or he's here, he's in my shop, and I, I just wanted to tell you that." And and we told him to to talk with you before he came. That we we told him Patrick's a great guy and he will make this right. Why don't you talk with him? And I think that kind of stuff sent a huge message that um, <clears throat> to to take the higher road always and, and to watch out for each other and and we we don't talk down about other shops. We don't, we, we almost try to pretend other shops just kind of don't really exist. We, we don't like to gossip. We discourage any kind of, oh, did you hear what happened over at this guy's shop? In ours, we always try to take the high road. Um, we, we've got a, a mission values and culture statement we've been working on. And one of our big quotes, we have it up on the wall at our shop is, is not arrogant, just better. Um, lose, lose the arrogance about it, just be better. Um, and that comes from one of the most successful um, professional football um, organizations. And by football, I mean soccer, Manchester United. Um, it, it's huge. I think it's good to, to have a good, positive relationship with as many shops around you as you can. I think, I, I think I'm talking about two different things, really. Um, I'm all for all of us getting together and really having conversations and really starting to try and move the industry forward. Now, obviously, there's some some cautions, you know, about price uh, setting and that kind of thing that can't be done. But I think we all need to be better communicators. Uh, uh, we need to communicate better between the shops. We need an association that is, is um, where 40 or 50% of the shops are represented as opposed to an association where 1.5% of the shops are represented. Um, I think uh, uh, I've got both of you guys in groups. Scott, I'm going to let you sit for a second. What has been the value uh, for you guys of being involved with a group of other shop owners? What 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 was the what's been the primary value uh, uh, to you of being involved in that? Um, and we'll start with Patrick this time. Patrick, what's what's the value for you of being involved in a 20s group with other shop owners? I think one issue is that. It's just what you said. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of shops out there. And just by being involved with a 20 group or just by watching this podcast right now, I think you're putting yourself in the top 10% of all other shops out there. Um, the idea sharing. Um, I've captured so many what I call gold nuggets from these groups and from other shop owners. And I, and I hope I've given some out as well. Um, I think the groups have given me the ability to move a lot faster, um, to, to grow faster, you know, to learn all this stuff, to learn how to really do it right would take an entire lifetime. But with the collective knowledge of others, you know, you can do it faster. You can do it and actually reach some of the reward, um, sooner. Uh, Rich, what about you? What, what, what has been your value of, of being around other shop owners? There's two. There's two huge ones. Uh, one of them is going to be. It is really difficult as a shop owner, especially as a as a successful shop owner, um, that there aren't peers around. Your friends are your friends, but they're not really your peers. And to get with people from other areas, you know, be it Nashville or West Coast or Northeast, and talk to people who 
you know, understand that, that we're, not, we're not all billionaires, that we all deal with the same issues and the same employee issues. I mean, the meetings that we have um, when we get together, the, the sessions that go on during the day are great, but the, the, um, the, the lunchtime and the dinner meetings and the getting together the day beforehand, that is where the huge, huge value is because you're with people who struggle with the same stuff that you struggle with. The other one is um, when we do visit the other shops, I mean, obviously we take pictures of other people's stuff and things that they're doing right, but the biggest thing has been um, the, the, the spreadsheet. Um, and, and knowing those numbers and understanding those numbers and working them through and realizing what what they mean and, and why they mean that. Because I, I used a spreadsheet that I got very early on from your from um, from Cecil, and I kind of played with it, and I put something in there, and I didn't monitor it regularly. But once we actually became a part of it and began monitoring it, and, and I don't fudge my numbers like, like – um, to, to make it look inflated or not inflated, I want them to be accurate because it really, you know, one thing that they do is you, you give us the leeway. If we wanted to fluff our numbers and make us look cool, we could, but what is the real benefit in that? There's none, absolutely none. But those learning those numbers and then having associations with, with, with like-minded peers and, you know, we're, we're a husband and a wife. My wife works here every day. Our group is, you know, they, they, it's like the couple's group. We're, we get together four times a year and go to different parts of the country, and it's it's just great. It's been it's fantastic for for morale of the owners, I think. Okay, so I want to I want to make something really really clear because uh, I think we're really talking about two different things. And one is, should I be a part of a twenties group or should I be a part of a shop improvement group? And and my opinion is not only yeah, but hell yeah. Um, uh, I, I've seen the benefits, uh, for the shop owners. I think one of the things that happens is that you actually get to see that you're not in this alone and that someone else has struggled and or solved a problem that you're currently dealing with. So being involved in the twenties group, uh, get you camaraderies, you get to know people, you get to look at your numbers, they get to help you with your business. You get to help them with their business. Um, I think it's a fantastic thing and obviously I think every shop ought to be there because of the things that I've seen and the value I've seen brought forward. For today in our conversation though, what I really want to get into is should I uh, price shop around my neighborhood and set my prices based on what the other shops are doing? Uh, should I price shop around my neighborhood and set my uh, technicians wages based on what other shops are doing? Um, uh, should I price shop around and, uh, and, uh, set my services, uh, uh, based on what the other shops are doing? Uh, I've got an easy answer for all of that. What's that? I got an easy answer for all that. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't think I, you should. I think when I'm teaching service advisors, one of the things I say is you have no competition. The only competition you have is in your mind. Um, we have so many shop owners who are doing it um, poorly, uh, uh, losing money, working their butts off and making no money in this industry. Why would I want to do what someone else is doing that's not successful? If I want to be successful, I hang around with the successful people. I learn from the successful people um, and not from the people that are, that are falling down. Um, is there uh, um, uh, you know what, Scott, give us your opinion on that. I mean, I know you said no, but why, why, why no? Um, I, I just, I just think that you set your pricing based on, uh, on how, how you're going to make, how much money you want to make, how you're going to be profitable. Um, I, I don't think you need to worry about okay. what the other shops are doing. I, if the other shops are underselling themselves and not making money, do you want to be like that? I, I just, I just don't. I was just based mine on uh, how much money I need to successfully run my business, uh, grow, and and be uh, a fair employer to my employees. It's kind of funny when I when I took over um, the shop in Mountain View, California, which is the last shop I ran. And by the way, that's 2004, so it's a, it's, it's a ways back. Um, I went in and we were $116 an hour, and the shop was actually losing money. 
uh, we were doing about 1.1 million in sales. We needed to do 1.8. And the day I showed up to manage the shop, I raised the labor rate uh, to $125 an hour. Um, I never checked the neighborhood. Uh, I didn't look at what the dealers were charging. I didn't look at what the other shops in the, in the area were charging. I just said, we have to be 125 if we're going to survive. Um, and I set the rate. Now, later, I found out that, that most of the shops in the area were probably in the low 90s and that there wasn't anyone over 100 bucks an hour. And I came in at 125 for a shop that was struggling and, 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 and would have gone under if they didn't do what was necessary. And the funny thing is we, we actually did exceptionally well and eventually, two years later, had our price up to $158 an hour in a neighborhood where the average shop was probably $95 uh, uh, an hour and the dealerships were $110. Um, we didn't care. I never looked at what the other shops were charging. I, I, I couldn't. Um, if I looked at what they were charging and I realized they were all charging 100 and then I said, oh, my God, I'm 125 um, would I have then gone up to 130 or 135 or 140? Um, and the answer to me is probably not. Um, is there detriment? Uh, is there harm in looking at what the other company is doing? Patrick, do you think that there's detriment uh, in looking at what the other companies are, are doing around us? I think you need to be very careful with it. I think that that focusing on it, especially regularly, can create a lot of fear and anxiety, and it can can sway your decisions in, in a bad way. Um, I don't disagree with an occasional spot check to make sure that, to see that you're in the ballpark, but if somebody else is drastically cheaper than us, it's it's not that we're more expensive, I don't think. I think it's because somebody else is, is suspiciously cheap. Um, are they missing parts and missing what are they missing what's not there there was so much to our shop other than just the part and the labor that goes into it um that you know i almost feel like we're too cheap sometime with certain things um you know i, I don't think it should be made a, a regular thing as a matter of fact i get all these um emails from the dealership because i drop cars off there and i always put my own email address down you know when i'm doing dropping off for a recall or something it almost gives me anxiety. Just I get I get probably three a day of these like coupons, and it, it makes me just like I almost want to just turn that off um, so, somehow. I don't think it's bad to look every now and then to make sure you're not making you're not three times or something because your customer is seeing that and and is you know as much as we talk about value, price is a factor sometimes, and if you're three times the price you may have a problem with even the best client. So I don't, I don't think it's bad to spot check here and there, but we look at what we, what our business needs to be profitable and what our business needs to make money so that we can, we can offer more for people. Um, and that's how we decide our pricing. What I've seen from the dealerships is they've lowered their prices on some of their key services to try to be more competitive in the marketplace. Um, but I don't think they just lowered the price. I think what they did was to lower the price, they took key services out of the mix. So now my A service is different than the dealer's A service, whereas maybe a year ago or two years ago it was the same service, and I was able to be price competitive. Now the dealer has said, well, in that A service where normally you'd get an air filter, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to pull that air filter out, and we're going to sell you that as an add-on to the A yeah. service. And, and I think I've seen a lot of that. I, I, I know, I know the value of money and I know that you can't give me the same thing for less money and I won't receive the same thing for less money. Yeah. Right. Similar thing, and I, one, one tactic to do is we, we go through glove boxes a lot and we'll just look and see what people are actually paying. And oftentimes it, it varies greatly from whatever you see being advertised or marketed or, yeah, they they gave away a cheap alignment, but look at how look at what you know the the client wound up not just get not getting as much, but paying way more than we would have charged for something else. Um, it, it's all games, and and I, I I it's just sneaky coupons in my opinion. Um, we don't we don't live that way. We're really a relationship model. Um, we're different. We try to make that clear to people. 
Um, Rich, what do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, the dealers are pricing themselves differently uh, in a way to try and steal our clients. And if anything, the dealerships are probably the most, most likely to be the ones that we're in competition with, if we have any competition at all for most, many of the independents, at least the ones I work with. The dealerships definitely are going after the, the higher end places like us. Um, the other shops, um, I've, I've always had the analogy. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to link myself up. To, I'm not gonna tie my boat up to a sinking ship and try to price match them. And while they go down, I go down too because I'm trying to beat them on pricing. Mm-hmm. The dealers, I really think some of these recalls on a lot of the a lot of the older cars are are just a way of the manufacturer getting the owners of those cars to bring the cars to the dealer so the dealer can look them over. They are. We have to sell them on the value proposition. We do have a better warranty than the dealership has. And we're actually using, I hate to say it because it happened, I just know for a fact it's happening here, but the two dealerships here, the two larger European dealerships, when they're doing their value line services to try to beat us in pricing, they're not even using original equipment parts. They're using the low-quality oil and filters and putting them in the car at the dealership, which is shocking to me because we won't even do that. Um, so that's the thing. I don't want to tie myself to a sinking ship. I definitely feel like you have to you have to know for some reason, but if you're using industry standards for your pricing, if you're using a flat rate manual and then you know the matrix that you not you want to put on there and it's a reasonable fair to the customer matrix and not a I'm gonna get everybody who comes in the door, you're gonna come out on top anyway. Doing the right thing. All right, I'm gonna I'm going to take a, a quick break here and, and talk about our service mastery program. We're starting our uh, second service mastery program actually this weekend with a makeup class for those that couldn't make this weekend, uh, June the 22nd. It's a year-long program. It's very intense. Uh, we work hand-in-hand uh, hand with your service advisors to train them. Uh, they have routine uh, follow-up with uh, uh, actually Scott Heads, that part of our program, and uh, we have a couple of guys that um, follow up with them. Uh, we follow up with the owners, and we have 172 <laughs> concepts that each. It's it's the most intensive uh, um, program that there is in the industry uh, today. Um, uh, so, for those of you that might be interested, uh, let us know at uh, you can hit me at Cecil at iforaabe dot com, um, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, uh, moving uh, forward, moving this forward, Scott. Um, uh, I drive by the my my uh, the shop down the street. Um, it, it it doesn't look like my shop, but they're always busy. They always have a bunch of cars in that shop. Um, I look at my shop and I go in and I say, man, you know, um, uh, I'm not. I don't appear to be as busy as they are. Um, is there value in looking at uh, how many cars the guy down the street has in his shop? Uh, I don't know. Unless you want to make yourself go crazy. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, you don't know what he's doing inside there. I mean, maybe you do. Uh, maybe a, uh, an invoice has come across your counter from a, one of their ex-customers or something. But, and you can, you can figure out if they're pricing their stuff profitably or not. Uh, they could very well be working uh, way harder and uh, not smarter uh, than you are. So um, I used to make a lot more money having eight cars in my shop than my uh, competitor minus down the street that had 25 a day. And I know I made a lot more money than they did. So okay. you can't, let it, you can't uh, let it get to you. Okay, Rich, I drive by the, my competitor down the street. Uh, the guy kind of bothers me because he's always kind of been a, a a bit of a, you know, he's on my back a little bit. I I wish he wasn't <laughs> around. Um, uh, uh, he's always out there with the discount ad, blah blah blah. Um, and his shop is just full. There's cars everywhere. Uh, hoods up all over the place. Um, uh, is there a, is there is that of any value to me to to go take that look and look at that? I like to look and see if it's the same cars moved around the parking lot because they're dead. <laughs> it depends. I was at a shop in uh, North Carolina and a huge parking lot, and you go out there and there's a bunch of wrecked cars. I mean, they're, they've been sitting there for like for months and months and months. Death row. And, 
and uh, and you're like, oh my God, if I drove up there with my car and and actually you know was paying attention, uh, I think to myself, I don't want to bring my car here. These are all dead cars. These are all uh, you know these are all victims. Um, so yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think there's this kind of this idea that you know what what do they do? I can tell you when when I, you know I was at a shop in uh, Sacramento. Um, and there were no cars in the shop. And I was like, with the owner, I was like, oh, my God, you know, bring your car in, put the hood up, bring the, the, the employees' cars in, do something, make it look like um, you, you're, you're a little bit busy. I don't want somebody driving by and seeing my shop being empty either. Um, is there um, – Patrick, let's, let's talk culture just a little bit because I, uh, I think talking culture with you is, is – uh, is is uh, is a is a great conversation, and then Rich, maybe you also, because um, I was just at your shop and you got a fantastic culture there. Um, Thanks. It, I'm trying to build my culture my way. Uh, uh, I'm trying to get my my staff behind our vision and our um, you know what we want to accomplish, our goals and targets. Uh, is there any value? Is it detrimental to be bringing these things in from these other shops um, down the street that we don't really understand and we don't really know? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, we we used to kind of do that for a bit. The dealer, a lot of our guys came from the dealer, and and there was always this gossip train of oh, guess what happened up there today? Guess what, you know, baloney came through or whatever, and. and Honestly, after we created our mission, values, and culture statement, that included um, uh, not arrogant, just better, we, we caught ourselves doing that. And one of my guys came up to me and said, we've just started a new thing here, Patrick. We're basically not going to talk about that anymore. If, if, if guys from the dealer, if technicians from the dealer come down and want to chat with us, because they do often and want to, you know, they're bored, want to see what we're doing, We'll, we'll talk to them real quick, and we'll say, I'm sorry when you get back to work. I don't want to hear the gossip train. Um, I think all that does is spur up anxiety and spur up kind of bad juju. It's energy that we need to spend improving ourselves, not gossiping about who's doing something wrong out there. Um, I'd almost prefer to just be on my own little island down here just doing, doing what we do and doing it better. Um, we don't like, like to partake in that. It can create a kind of a negative culture. That's not what we're about here. Okay, um, uh, Rich, what what about you? Um, we we definitely don't partake in any any type of gossip or what happened down at the, at the other place or anything like that. I really think it's um, it, it's negative for everybody. It's negative for us as owners. It's negative for the employees. It's negative for the customers. Um, I just don't I, I don't care for it. We try to uh, in our culture. We try to you know we're. We're an enthusiast. We're all auto enthusiasts. Everybody that works here is an auto enthusiast, and and uh, we're, we're friendly with each other. And um, we like to we like we like to cut up and have a good time. But we definitely don't do it at the uh, at the expense of uh, of of what's going on down the road. We just don't concern ourselves with it. Um, uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on on that? I had it directly written into my policy that I would not uh, talk negative or talk about another shop. It was written and it had to be signed by all employees before they started working. That's cool. I, I, I don't think I somebody. Go ahead. I, what I, what I, another thing that the part two that I meant to say on that was that um, I, I tell all the part of our culture, you know, obviously it, it goes from the top down or from the, from the bottom up. <laughs> And um, I tell my guys, I'm like, you, you guys, I have your back if you have my back. If you're inspecting the cars properly, um, then I know that they're right. Then when I'm up at the counter, I know I'm not going to get caught up there with my pants down. And because of that, and because they see me do it, and they see me fall on my sword. And when we do have a, a problem customer, we all get together and discuss it as a shop when, when something goes wrong. And if it's something goes wrong, it's the fault of somebody in the shop. I don't get, you know, I don't flip out and get angry and, and get upset at that person. I, I, you know, I tell the guys, look, I seriously doubt that there's anybody in this shop that hasn't done something that I isn't going to do something that I haven't already done once myself in the past. And as long as it's not a habit, in which case I'm going to need to get rid of somebody, 
as long as you've got my back, I've got your back. And that goes, that goes a long way because they know that, that, that I will stand behind them if they're there. Well, there's kind of a, there's kind of a, you know, uh, I'm writing a, a management book right now and it, it's kind of interesting. Um, one of the chapters I have, I think is entitled, you can't make everyone happy. So make your employees happy. Um, because I, I really feel that I have to stand behind my employees as long as I trust that these are good people. They've been through our process. They've been hired. Uh, they're on the, you know, they're trying hard uh, to do the best job all the time. Um, I have to be able to stand behind them and then not get really upset when there's a, a, a problem as long as it's not a pattern failure. Another part of the, the book is kind of uh, understand the difference between mistakes and pattern failures. Uh, mistakes are, are part of the game. Pattern failures are what I'm, I need to look at as a manager and try to eradicate from uh, my company. I got uh, Patrick shaking his head yes. Um, uh, comments there, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it, it's so hard. I, I made a little note here. You asked, um, why do you think this seems to be a common fault within our industry, this whole grass is greener syndrome? And I think a lot of it is... Um, is emotional training, training yourself to control your emotions, training yourself to understand your emotions. Um, but also a lot of technicians turn business owners, people who, who just aren't aren't quite ready for this just yet. Um, but yeah, it is so hard to, you know, when somebody drops a bolt down in a turbocharger and it blows up, um, you know, on a car that you just called the customer and said it'll be done today, um, to control that and realize that that was a mistake and uh, it, in, in with a calm face to say, all right, well, let's get this right, and then let's talk about what we're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen. You know, um, it, it takes a lot of a lot of uh, control, so to speak. Um, do, you, do you think that there's, you know, there's 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 this idea that that uh, years ago, you know, my dad used the belt on me. Um, you know, I grew up uh, in a different uh, uh, time. My kids, you know, if you listen to my oldest son, I probably beat him to death, although I don't think I ever spanked him more than once or twice on the tush with a bare hand. Um, my, my, my younger kids, we never spanked at all. Uh, and is there something missing in not blowing up when somebody drops a bolt down the turbocharger? I mean, is there, is there something that I'm uh, – maybe I'm setting a precedence that, hey, it doesn't really matter, or is it, is it different than that? It's different than that. Uh, I've got a four-year-old daughter, and and anytime I flare up and yell, I can if I if I calm down and look at her, I can see that she just shuts down. She's not listening to what I'm saying when she does that. When I calmly direct her eyes right at mine and explain to her why what she said hurt my feelings or why she made me feel what I did, it has a completely different effect. And it, no, it's more okay to drop a bolt down a turbocharger, but my guys are my guys are all fantastic technicians, and they will they'll beat themselves over the head for that kind of stuff. I don't need to do that for them. Um, it, they carry so much pride about our quality, our, our culture of quality at our shop. They will self-correct and fix that problem so it doesn't happen again. Um, it, there, there, there's no need to hit, them, hit somebody for something like that. And, and, and I think, you know, I go into shops all the time and you see people losing their tempers. Um, it's almost like they have to lose their temper in order to – try to manage the employee because they're afraid to have that conversation unless they're at a certain um, intensity level. Yeah. Hey, you screwed up. Uh, I'm going to scream and yell at you now uh, as opposed to, hey, um, you know, you screwed up and doing it at, at a much, um, in a much faster way at a, at a, at a, at a more ap appropriate time mm -hmm. and, and place. I think there's a way to talk to somebody and I think that a lot of shop owners, they wait until they're angry to have that conversation, and that's the wrong time to have the conversation. If it's um, a really, really bad one, like a really bad situation, I found that the best thing for me to do and, and to do is to say, you know, you're going to need to take the rest of the day off, and then tomorrow morning when you come in, we're going to discuss if and if, you know, why and if you want to work here and, and where, the pro where the problem was to find out if it's a problem with the person or with me. I just think we need to have better communication in our businesses uh, with our staff and, and so that we're regularly discussing the mistakes that we make. 
and coming up with better solutions before anger or or uh, we get too intense about it. Uh, I think we chase away a lot of good people. So I think the question is, do you want to be a boss or do you want to be a coach? And, I, and I'd rather be the coach um, since we're all on this team. Um, Boston doesn't sound fun to me. I don't know what the other guy does or is doing, frankly, in his shop. Uh, I can tell you that the statistics are not good, mm-hmm. that the other guy is probably working a lot harder than he should, making a lot less money. Uh, if he's making any money at all, I can tell you that he's probably doing a lot of um, discounted work at a very low labor rate. Uh, you know, there's these different um, management methodologies that are out there right now. One of them is uh, don't worry about margin, worry about dollars. Um, and I think that that's uh, somewhat detrimental. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I don't know what the other guy's doing. I think that my time and my energy would, it would be much better spent on trying to figure out how to run my business the way I want my business to be run, how to create in my business what I want for my business. So, Scott, how, how did you do that uh, in your company? How did you create your culture within your business so that well, you know, the heck with what the other guy's doing? Yeah, right. And, you know, it was, it, for, for me, it was a learning process. I mean, it, you know, we started with a shop that was low ARO, tons of cars. Um, when mistakes were made, there wasn't money there to, you know, uh, a lot of money to fix them and all that. Um, but as you grow, and as I grew as, as a business owner, I realized that, um, you know, working with your employees, leading by example, um, not getting upset and throwing things in the shop when things went bad was a great way to lead your employees and to let them know that, Hey, look, you know, and, and I think it was Rich who said it, you know, your employees feel really bad about the stuff that they are, or Patrick said it, you know, if they screw up, they feel bad and it doesn't help. Um, it doesn't help screaming and yelling through the shop. It just makes everybody uh, uncomfortable. Uh, it wrecks the entire uh, culture for the day. And, uh, and then you're, you know, and for the next month you're trying to repair that. Um, not to mention you probably all your employees are out looking for looking to work someplace else now. It's just, you, you I, just can't do it. I have to smile because I, I don't know how many times I've, I've had my wife tell me, I already know I screwed up. I feel bad enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need you telling me, you know, where I screwed up or how I screwed up. Um, and, and yet I want, I want something. I want some <laughs> not justification. I want something I'm not getting. Um, so what you feel bad, uh, you know, that just cost us X, Y, Z, or, you know, that, that could have cost us a customer. I think one of my, one of my sayings is, um, don't make it important unless it really is, uh, or don't make it an emergency unless it's really an emergency. Uh, I think if you're in the automotive service and repair business, uh, eventually someone's going to drop a bolt in a turbo and blow up a turbo. Mm-hmm. Um, or somebody's going to, I worked for this uh, dealership for about a year uh, here, and they had this really old guy that was uh, a porter, and he would drive these Cadillacs around, and uh, one day he wrecked one of the Cadillacs. He drove into something, uh, which, by the way, in my opinion, if you're driving, you know, 17 cars a day around a, a, a parking lot, uh, uh, there's going to be a day where you you hit something. That's why we call them accidents. Um the insurance company had a $5,000 deductible and they actually charged this guy that deductible and we're taking it out of his pay. Um, I thought that was so blatantly horrible that I actually quit. It was the thing that, that threw me over the edge because they wanted me to sign something that said, if I wrecked a car, uh, I would, I would pay the deductible and they had a very high deductible so that they could save money on their insurance and the owner could put more money in his pocket. Um, I think, I think we, I think that we often make the case for something and make it much bigger than it is, uh, because of our emotional, where we are, or because of something else that's going on in our lives, uh, at the time. And I think if you have a shop that runs well, you know, we, we, here we are talking to Rich, uh, and Patrick, and I know both your shops run really well and that you guys are profitable and you're not worried tomorrow about whether or not you can make the payroll or whatever that is. 
But I think that when you're in a bad spot, when you really aren't making money, that it's easy to make something bigger than it really is. Um, uh, what, so, so I know what Rich does. Rich basically says, hey, you take the rest of the day off. Tomorrow let's talk about how this would be a better, you know, how could we do this better and not have this problem again. Patrick, what do you do when somebody really blows it? Well, I want to spin this back around to something that Rich said earlier about the numbers. Uh, I, I make a data-driven decision on whether to freak out or panic or not. And I look at my numbers every, every month, and I know that my shop's uh, warranty rate is below 1%. So when somebody drops a, turbo, a bolt in the turbo and it goes kaplooey, I, I just go, well, I guess that's our 1% for this month, and we move on, and that's it. And the technician panics and thinks I'm going to fire him or something, and I don't. And I say, hey, man, let's fix it. Let's make it right. Um, and then at the meeting on Monday, let's talk about, like, something we can do to prevent someone else from doing the same thing. As long as we learn from the mistake, I'm cool. Are you cool? And that's that. We move on. And I, I think um, I think that's a, a healthier way to do it. I mean, if your warranty rate is 20% in your shop, um, perhaps panicking and freaking out might be the right thing to do. Um, but in our shop, it's just not. It's not a problem. Warranty work is not a problem that we have. Even though we have it sometimes, the, we're below the industry standard for, for warranty. So I, that's not on my list of things to panic about. So, so there's a, a, one of the pre-questions for us was, um, where does this uh, you know, shop envy come from? Um, I can tell by talking, maybe I brought the wrong guys on for the meeting, but I can tell by talking to both of you, you don't have shop envy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why do you no. think that neither of you have shop envy? Um, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead, Patrick first. And then, and then let's go over to rich. I think, cause I believe in my shop and I, I, I know that my shop is top 1%. I know that. And I believe that every day. And I, I think other shops have envy of me and, and, and I'm proud of that. And I hope that I can broadcast some gold nuggets that they can pick up and make their shops good as well. Um, I, I, there are things that I want for sure, but I think my culture is my, one of my most, most proud achievements in the shop. Um, you know, I've got some amazing things going on here. I'm very, very proud of. So I, I don't, I don't have to look around. I'm really happy with what, where I'm at. And my advice to anyone who's listening, who saying, well, yeah, that's great. But I, you know, I have this problem or I don't have this is if you don't believe in your shop a hundred percent, if you don't think you're the best then you need to attack any problem that is in between you and being the best. Like if you, if you don't believe in your product, if you don't believe your labor rate's worth it, you need to fight until you do. Um, and, and that's what, that's what I, that's what, how I feel and how I operate. So it's hard to have shop envy when your when your belief system is that your business is the best. And when you're constantly putting that energy and effort into being the best and solving those problems. Um, I think that's probably the best advice so far on the, on the, on the podcast, you know, put that energy and that effort into your own business and the belief. Um, I tell service advisors that you don't have any competition because nobody has the ability or is willing to do what you're willing to do for your customers and take care of your customers. And I don't mean give away your service. I mean, create value uh, be honest, be trustworthy, uh, advise them properly, uh, go to the mat for the customer if you have to. Um, those are the kind of things I mean. Uh, Rich, you have no shop envy whatsoever. Uh, um, wh- why not, right? I just, you know, I, I provide a, what I feel is a, a clean and good environment. I provide or I shouldn't say I, we, because it's the, it's, the, it's the whole place. It's everybody here that provides it. But we, we provide, you know, um, high-end incomes for the area. I've got 11 fantastic people here. Um, everybody seems to be happy. If they're not happy, then they could, you know, go somewhere where they'll be happier, and, that's, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, can somebody come in and, you know, open up $8 million place down the road and, and, and try to be better? Yeah, I'm sure they can, but. I know the stuff that they suffer with also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I feel like we're doing the, the best we can with what we got and we're, you know, 
going to these 20 groups and these peer groups and these smart groups and, and talking to other people and learning from them. And, and I, I definitely prefer to learn from people I feel are peers as opposed to trying to learn from my competition. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not hooking my boat to a sinking ship. It's not going to happen. Okay. Do you, um, um, do you, do you think that there's, there's this looking at the other guy down the street because it, it helps us not look at our own uh, issues. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it distract us, distract, distracts us from, from putting our time and energy into our own business. I think a lot of shop owners, and you guys got to think back, Patrick, maybe think back four years ago. Uh, Rich, it might be longer for you. But I think, you know, if you think back to the time when, you were running your shop. You didn't have the kind of knowledge you have today. Uh, um, you know, was it easier then to distract yourself by looking at what the neighbor was doing or wasn't doing as opposed to trying to fix what you didn't know how to fix? Totally. That's totally. Um, it, it's, I think it's a defense mechanism and a, a natural human instinct to do stuff like that and kind of stick my head in the sand at my own shop um, with, with some blatant issues going around. Um, for sure. And, and, and I feel like in the past four years, I, I have emotionally changed and emotionally grown so much from that point. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. It's not part of our culture anymore. My, if I do that stuff, if I talk crap about a shop or a dealer, my guys will shut, shoot me down. They'll say, Patrick, that's not what we do here. And, and I think that's, that's key is having, building a culture around that kind of stuff. Positivity, right thing. So I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask the both of you because um, I have two shop owners that are they're fairly successful shop owners. What what was the thing or the one or two things that got you from there? Hey, I'm struggling in my business. I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, um, I'm I'm going to distract myself to having such a strong culture, such a strong uh, um, uh, uh, a business. Uh, Rich, I'm going to let you go first on this, and then we'll move to Patrick, and then I got a question for Scott. I've got to tell you, Cecil, the the one thing that I've seen that has absolutely changed it here was when I was able to cut out the cancer. When we had somebody here who wasn't who had that attitude and 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 who 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 was envious of other shops and jealous of other technicians, when when that person you know, decided to go on their own and, and everybody else pitched in and, and made the environment and the culture better. Um, it was, it, it was phenomenal. And we, we witnessed that on a, uh, a shop visit that we did in another shop in Texas. Um, absolutely. Um, absolutely love the guy, but we went in, there was a first shop visit. It was my first time I was ever with the group and we went in there and they, they hammered him on one of his employees saying that he was, you know, he was a cancer in that shop. And man, he went and fired that guy that night. And it blew my mind. But then his other two technicians immediately, not only did they pitch in, but one of their buddies came to work for him to make up for the space. And now they got the culture that they wanted to have because that guy was so bad that he was pulling down the shop for the other people. And that was the one thing when I learned it, to, to, to let go of what's uh, of the cancer that's in the shop and what's not good that's in there and know that uh, as long as you're following those numbers and doing them right, that's what made all the difference in the world. Do you think you could have learned that um, without being involved with uh, the other top shop owners? No way. There's no way. There's no way. And believe me, I would tell you. I would tell you if I disagreed. I and uh, I know I, there's you no would. way. I, there's no way in the world I, I would have never, if I had not witnessed that and seen it myself and experienced it and, and had the relationship I had with the other shop owners, I, I would have never, ever believed it. So, so uh, Patrick, thank you. Um, Patrick, what do you think is the one or two things that got you where you, where you are, you know, look, looking back four years ago, how did you go from, from there to here? Right. Well, the, the big umbrella is, is training. And, um, and getting training, getting help. Uh, you asked Rich this, but I could not have in a lifetime figured out where I, all the things I needed to get to where I am now, not in a lifetime without, without help and training. Um, I would still be struggling with some really basic stuff right now. 
had I not got who I may not even be you know in working in a shop anymore had I not gotten the training I needed. So it's huge. But the sub parts are hiring the right people, learning how to create uh, a process to find the people that I needed, to find the people that had the culture that were going to bring the right culture, um, that were going to do the right thing, um, and cutting out the people that didn't, realizing they were here. Um, somebody said it, I think somebody said it, the culture is like the wind. You can feel it. You can't see it. You know it's there. And me learning to recognize when the culture was shifting or when the culture wasn't right um, was huge. And and knowing when it's right as well, uh, know, knowing when we've, we've got it and we're, we're nailing it and then, you know, doing whatever I can to maintain that. So the training is knowing, you know, uh, the training was, was huge. Isn't it amazing to sit back? I know you and I had recently had a conversation and, and you're like, oh my God, you know, my guys, they, 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 they got it. They did it. They, they're the ones. <laughs> yes. You know, oh my, oh my heck. Right. So, yeah. Um, I just, I, I know how exciting that is for me when, when one of my clients or, or one of the people that I work with, um, understands it and gets, and gets it. Um, it's, it's like, for me, it's like everything, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like the, the, it just justifies everything that I do and all the hard, all the hard work and, and everything else. So, yeah. um, all right, we're running. We're, we're running at that point. I know Scott, I, I didn't talk to you enough, uh, during this episode, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to apologize for that. I kind of feel like, uh, uh, I should have spent more time, but I had these two guys I really wanted to grab yeah. some stuff out of. Um, uh, when it comes to shop envy, looking at the other shops, um, or, or just moving your own business forward, we're, we're at that point in time. Um, what are your last thoughts for someone, uh, that might be listening to this podcast. Well, hopefully there are, hopefully there's a shop or two that, that is listening right now. And, and there, um, I, I thought, you know, I, I mean, when you came up with the topic and contacted me for it, I'm like, okay, what, what are we talking about here? Shop envy. And, um, as, as we, this has gone through, I've, I've, uh, my feeling on the shop envy conversation that we've had is that perhaps if, if, if you are a shop that you do envy like the shop down the street or, it's probably, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm gathering it's like a fear of, of you're not being able to be like them or, or, or better than them or as good as, as them. Um, and, and I said, you know, early on when I had a shop, um, when I first got my shop, I had knew absolutely nothing about auto repair, um, running an auto repair shop. But um, when I reached out to other shop owners and group 20s and training, uh, that's when I, I became, you know, I really don't care what the shops around me are doing. I want to know what the most successful shops are doing. And I'm sitting in the room right now with the best shops in the world. And, and that's what uh, really, that's when the light bulb went on. So if there, if there are any shops out there that want to be like another shop or, or can't seem to get things done and then they have all this envy from these other shops, um, start contacting some uh, trainers or some, some other shops or go into the shop that you that you envy and talk to them. What are you guys doing? You know, uh, open yourself up. Uh, you'd be a little vulnerable, but you might learn something about yourself and uh, make things better for you and your employees. Wouldn't it be amazing for our industry if, you know, we, we went down and said, I really want to steal some of the great things that you do. Um, you know, to help, help me out here, teach me, or let me help you uh, as an industry. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking down the street and saying, wow, that guy has a beautiful building. Um, I want to, I want to do some of the things that he's done on my building or, or man, they've got a great culture. I mean, geez, you want to learn about culture, go to Patrick's shop. You want to see a beautiful building and a wonderful culture, go spend a day with rich at his, at his business. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, uh, but I don't think that we should be setting our pricing or spending our energy trying to be like somebody that we don't really understand and that we don't really know um, uh, as, as, a, as, as an individual business. I think that all of that time and energy should be put into our own uh, uh, company. All right, uh, last word, Rich. Uh, well, what do you tell those guys out there that may or may not have shop envy? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Keep it here. Keep it here, yeah. baby. Um, envy your own shop. Yeah. And, and, and don't, 
I don't know. Don't talk about it. Do it. Uh, you know, if you want the place to be cleaner, clean it up. Uh, you know, if you want it to look different, make it look different. Uh, that's the cool thing. You, you really have the ability to make so many different um, changes in your own business if that's what you're willing to do and if you get behind it. Uh, Patrick, last word. I think uh, for everybody listening, you've got to realize that if, if you're seeking out some kind of training, some kind of training to make you a better owner, and watching this podcast, doing stuff like this, it puts you in the top 10% of all shops in the entire country. And, and and you almost don't need to be worrying too much about what other people are doing. And and if you if you have if you don't think you're the best, and learn how to be the bar, learn how to set the bar. Um, so that other people are following you and just fight and fight and fight until you to get what you want. The most frustrating thing to me is watching people, watching other shop owners say they want something and not take action and not just do it and not um, stop everything and just get that one thing that they want. So just go out and fight for it. And, and don't forget where you came from because there's other people that need your help. The industry needs your help. We need to band together and learn how to be great shops together. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to Patrick and uh, Rich and Scott uh, for being here. Thank you so much, guys. I greatly appreciate uh, your time. I, I always have so much fun doing these, and they, they, they go by so fast. Um, uh, you guys have a, a great day. You out there uh, on Facebook watching us uh, or looking at us on a podcast, uh, uh, stay in touch. Thank you very much, guys. You have a great day, and uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing all of you sooner or later. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Thanks, you guys. Thanks. Bye. Join us next time as we divulge what it takes to drive production in your shop. Subscribe at institutesleadingedge.podbean.com so you don't miss out. Or find us on Spotify and iTunes at The Leading Edge. Join the Institute group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.